You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. We are a local congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, and we would love to see you join God's restoring work of love in your life. You can find out more about us at restorationlex.com slash welcome. There's helpful links about how you can grow, how you can serve, and be good news in our city. Thanks for listening. So for the last three weeks, we've been in this series called Restore. And what we're doing every time around this time of year, every year, we, we talk about the vision and the values of our church. Usually that's some sort of big picture abstract things. But this year, we wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper than that and talk about sort of the foundation of every belief and every value. And that is, what does it look like to follow Jesus together? Now, when I say Christian, you say Christian to your neighbors or your coworkers or your fellow classmates, that could elicit a lot of different responses, right? Some of them not, not great. Uh, so we need to have a common and compelling vision for what it means to follow Jesus together, something that unites us beyond just a simple set of beliefs or our philosophy about how to do church. I don't want to stand up here and talk about how we do church best. I want to talk about what it means to really follow Jesus where we are in the everyday stuff of life. And so that's what we're doing. We're pursuing a shared vision for what it means to follow Jesus together. And underneath this, we're, we're building this pathway of formation and growth together that you can see here on the screen of how we live as disciples of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we began with this foundation of our spiritual lives, of being with Jesus. Being a disciple means you are an apprentice. You're being with someone to learn how to live and to do as they do. That's what we're doing with Jesus. We're learning to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus. We're learning to be present to the God who is already present to us. I love that. I love that I can show up here today, you can show up here today, and you don't have to put a mask on, that we don't have to run around in circles and sing the right songs and say the right things to get God to show up, that God is already present and at work. And what we're doing here today is you and I, we're learning to be present to the God who is already present to us. That's such a relief. I'm glad we don't have to stir up God in this room today, right? I'm glad we can just come and be us and be ourselves and be where we're actually at. So last week, as we continued that, we talked about learning to pay attention to our heart, our emotions, our desires, our intentions. And as we learn to do this, to bring our whole selves to God, all of us, the best parts and the words. And we can do this without fear and shame because we know that God is a God of restoration. And what God reveals as we examine our hearts, He does so in order to restore. And when the Holy Spirit, He brings us to this awareness together of our own sin and brokenness, when we see these places in our hearts that aren't always what we want them to be, we know that God does this not from condemnation, but in order to bring restoration, in order to bring the wholeness that we desire in Christ. That's where we've been. The question is, how do we get there as we continue moving forward in this journey? Uh, I know we can't learn my way. We can't learn our way into restoration. We can't stuff a bunch of knowledge and be changed by that. We can't behave our way into wholeness in Christ. What we need is not simply a magic moment, but we need a movement of our lives. There's a word for this. As we come under the understanding of what's in our hearts and this desire to change and to grow. 
This word is seen throughout the Scriptures, and this word is repentance. Repentance has been a central idea to the message of Jesus from the very beginning. In the very beginning of his ministry, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 15, he makes this declaration. He begins ministry with these words. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, repentance we see here in the words of Jesus is, is an act of invitation and not condemnation. Now, I, I would imagine that when you hear the word repent, you probably have some different pictures in your mind, right? A lot of times when people both inside and outside of the church hear this word repent, it is a word of condemnation and hatred and shame. We hear this coming from picket signs sitting outside of events and stuff like we see here on the screen of these judgmental people standing over others with hatred. That's what the word repent has come to be seen in many ways in our culture. And, and if you've noticed Every single time, repentance is always something that they have to do, but somehow never us. It's always them, right? They're the ones that need to get their act together. Repentance is only something you point the finger at and never something that you actually enter into yourselves. And we wonder why we're having such an issue with Christians and Christianity in this country. It's because repentance has been for them, but somehow never for us. You have seen moralistic, finger-wagging, hateful hypocrisy associated with a word that was meant to be something so much more. And yet, as we pull back and see the picture of what this word actually means, what Jesus is actually speaking to, you see something beautiful that you and I are called to. The word in Greek here is metanoia, which literally means going beyond your way of thinking. Repentance, then, is an act of, of moving out of the paradigm of the way I think and see the world, the way I have formerly known myself to be, and moving into a new vision of reality itself. Alistair McGrath, he writes that the Greek term metanoia, traditionally and inadequately translated as repentance, means something more like a radical change of mind or a fundamental intellectual reorientation through which we turn away from older habits of thought and action and embrace a new way of thinking and living. Repentance means not primarily a sense of regret but a renunciation of narrow and sectarian human views which are not large enough for God's mystery. Gosh, I love that. And this, this idea with this mindset, we need to hear Jesus' words again, not from condemnation, but listen again with invitation. The time has come. The kingdom of God has, has come near, is with us. Now repent. Turn. Allow your mind to be changed and believe the good news. That is a beautiful promise. Surrendered and settled into the idea that God is already present. The kingdom of God has come near. So let your mind be changed by that. Let your way of thinking be completely and utterly turned upside down by the reality that God has arrived. Jesus. 
We were realigning our thinking in the good news of the gospel of God's restoring work of love. This is bigger than a belief or a doctrine that we mentally assent to. It's bigger than just a Christian form of behavior modification. And what we come to see with this definition, this clarity around repentance, is that this does not happen overnight, right? There is no lightning bolt repentance. There is no moment where you're struck and everything has changed. That's not actually what Jesus is inviting you into. Repentance is not a moment. What we see is that repentance is a movement. It is the movement of our lives forward in our faith journey towards something beautiful. 506 years ago, this month, actually, Martin Luther, he spoke truth to power. He walks up to this corrupt church door and nails the 95 theses to it, which is directed at a church that at the time had monetized and bastardized the ministry of Jesus and turned it into a spectacle. Luckily, that's never happened again since. But what he was speaking truth to power in that moment was this idea that we're called to something more than just the surface level. The very first statement in these 95 theses as he spoke truth to power was this. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Not just a moment, but a movement. Not just a moment in time, but the direction, the trajectory of our lives. If that idea of repentance, of being an exercise of guilt and shame is what repentance actually means, what Martin Luther is calling us to seems horribly wrong. It's bad news. It's horrible news. If all of my life is feeling guilty and shameful about what I have done, then Christianity is bad news to me. And many of us have built our understanding of the faith on a God who desires that you feel guilt and shame, and that guilt and shame be the primary form and foundation of how you bring about change. But you and I know shame and guilt can only get us so far and can never change hearts. It changes behaviors momentarily. It changes mindsets momentarily. Shame and guilt does not change our heart, right? It will not. And this is the underlying idea of repentance that we see clearly in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look here on the screen. This is sort of the foundational passage for us today. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice here first, Paul does not say, in view of your sin, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of what you have been given in Christ, the focal point of change in your life is not your sin, it's the one who saved you from it. The focal point of your trajectory in Christ is not navel-gazing at how bad and guilty and shameful you are. It's looking to Jesus. 
He says, brothers and sisters, in view of mercy that you have not earned, that you have not proved with your own life, but that has been declared over you in Christ, you have been given this. Now offer yourself. My friends, the gospel is not look at what you did, now change. The gospel is look what's been done for you, now be changed. Do you see the difference? Do you know and feel the difference between a God who says, look how bad you are, get your crap together, and a God who says, look what love has done for you. Now, receive it. And it starts with this recognizing in the ways in which, in the language of Paul, we have consciously or subconsciously conformed to what he uses, this language of the patterns of this world, deeply ingrained ways of thinking and seeing the world that are formed over years of experiences and trauma and relationships, ways of thinking that no longer align us with the wholeness that we find in Jesus. About a month ago, we talked about the intersection of neuroscience and spiritual formation. If you haven't, go back and listen to that week. It was some fascinating stuff we were talking about together. But we talked about how our brains are forming these neural pathways that are shaping our patterns of thinking, this idea of Hebb's theory that the more that you think about something in one way, you're forming this ingrained idea that is becoming harder and harder and harder to break. These patterns of the world that Paul uses that language align in many ways with the idea of our neuroscience, that the, the, the deeply ingrained patterns of thinking that form within our brains form us and deform us away from the wholeness that we are created for. It's also the way that we form the patterns of this world in our flesh, in our sin, this brokenness that we experience. The Bible's word for these ingrained patterns that are both learned and unlearned, it calls them the flesh. Now, the flesh is not our physical bodies. God is not saying our physical bodies are evil. That has been taught a lot and too much, and it is wrong. Our bodies are made and called good. The flesh, however, is the disintegrated self. It's the part of us where our emotions and desires have been distorted by the patterns of thinking and living, the, the broken places within us, and has changed the way we see God, changed the way that we see ourselves, changed the way that we see our neighbors in ways that are not living up to the love that we have been called to in Christ. Paul's description of the flesh that we see in Galatians 5 here, I think this is a, a convicting and sobering picture here. I love this in the message paraphrase. It says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. It's weird when we talk about sin because it feels like we have to a 